Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Political Soapbox, of course, with myself, Tom McDonough, and my co-host, John Troxell. And of course, our guest this week is Michael Reagan. Of course, Michael has fame of being Ronald Reagan's son, which, of course, but Mike actually has done more than just be Ronald Reagan's son. Obviously, he's written nine books. Uh, and, uh, and of course, we, we want to get into some depths and things. Obviously, you have some opinions um, and I think we'll have a little bit of fun with those uh, those opinions and uh, ours alone. <laughs> John and mine always are opinionated. So welcome to the show, Mike. Good to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. You know, and I've, I've interviewed you a couple of times in my career. Um, and it's and it's always great to hear you had each time I've I've actually interviewed you. You've had always different stories. Ironically, I've had different stories about your uh, about Ronald. Um and it's been interesting that, uh, you know, the different stories that I've heard. And one of them, and I was telling John, he has some good stories. And just to get off the bat, there was one you talked about, about your um, dad, when he was using the uh, his private jet as president, he was taking um, stuff to the poor. If I'm not mistaken, if I remember the story completely correct, he was, when he got on the plane, he transported it, uh, items and no one knew that he was doing this as president. But it, I don't remember exactly what it, what the event was or why he was doing that. But I, I guess I want you to retell this story. Yeah. yeah. First of all, just get right. It wasn't his private jet. OK. Uh, it might have been Trump's private jet, uh, <laughs> but it was not my dad's private jet. It was like called Air Force One. And, oh, and that was yeah. really that, that was really, you know, a, a, somebody after he got out of office. Uh, he had, you're right, did have a private jet to fly him. And he was, uh, they were paying him $100,000 a speech uh, to go to China to give speeches and, and what have you, and, and Japan and all around. And they really, the media really went after him for getting, making $100,000 a speech. How dare he do that and use his presidency or being the former president to get that kind of remuneration for his speech. And what they didn't report on is the whole back of the plane was filled with military personnel, families of military personnel in the places where he was going to speak. Mm -hmm. They hadn't seen their families because that's where they had been stationed or were stationed. And so he filled the plane up completely with the family members of those who were stationed overseas in the spots where he was speaking so that they could be with their families a few days and spend time with their families. Of course, the press never reported that, but I'm not surprised because the press plays that kind of a game if you're a conservative or a conservative Republican. Yes, this is true. We've seen that in, in large form in, in the uh, last, uh, I don't know how many, 10 years at least for sure. There's yeah. news agencies that has expanded a bit more. We went from just you know MSN, um, and then, of course, CNN and Fox. Now it's expanded to multiple ones. Um, so you, it is definitely seeing, you're seeing a bigger trend of that going forward, mm-hmm. um, where there seems to be unfair reporting going on across. I mean, obviously, CNN is going to completely go Democratic. Fox News is completely Republican. And the rest of them are, depending on the day, I guess, or the way the wind blows. Is which now, This is what I kind of tell people. I tell people, ask me questions a lot of times. I said, people watch Fox to be pissed off at the left and people watch msnbc and cnn to be pissed off at the right and what happens is everybody goes to bed at night pissed off yeah. <laughs> true that so mike i'd like to ask you a question about that um so since we're speaking about news networks now 
you know, in the, the latest Nielsen poll of the third quarter of 2021, Fox News had nine of the top 10 new news shows with only the Rachel Maddow show from MSNBC coming in at number five. CNN didn't even crack the top 20. The, their highest rated show was 23, and that was Cuomo primetime. And we know that's going to go away for at least the indefinitely, you know. What does that say? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The if they're going to hire back, hire back a guy who was relieving himself during the Zoom call. Is there any doubt they're going to get Como back? Well, yeah. Time? I mean. but, but what does that say, based on what Tom just said, what does that say when nine of the top ten shows are Fox News? What does that say that the American public are looking for? The problem with CNN and MSNBC, they come across angry. The yeah. reason Gutfeld's number one at night and takes ABC, NBC, and CBS to the cleaners is because Gutfeld makes you laugh. He gives you information, but he laughs at himself, and he laughs. Yeah. And you know, people, I, I grew up with Carson, and people wonder why NBC Today show was always the number one show every morning. Well, it's because everybody went to bed watching Carson at night. <laughs> That's why NBC was number one in the morning. It wasn't that the staff was so great you know, on the morning show, it's that Carson was so great at night, but nobody to this day can tell you what party Carson belonged to. He, he was just funny and he made you laugh. Uh, and nobody will ever forget the tomahawk throw. They'll just never forget it. Oh. There's just <laughs> stuff that, that he did that just brought you laughing. And Gutfeld makes you laugh. And so people can watch Gutfeld and watch Fox at night and you get information but that's not angry information on the other shows. It's angry information and people don't want to go to bed angry. They don't want to watch anger. They want to watch, give me some news. If you're opinionated, fine. But the fact is don't be so angry. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask more. you a question. Uh, you know, I joined the army in 1982. I served for 38 years. I retired as the senior enlisted person in the Department of Defense, working for General Joe Dunford and Secretary Jim Mattis. But mm-hmm. I, you, when your dad was president, um, he made two very, um, well, he made a strategic decision. And then his former vice president, who was the president, um, when we talk about, uh, you know, pop-up conflicts, you know, uh, Grenada in 1983 and then Panama in 1989, And I think your dad was focused on making sure that, you know, our kind of anti-access aerial denial uh, stuff around our nation and that there was nothing that would upset the general order. Now we see those, you know, the Atlantic and the Pacific aren't separating us from China and Russia anymore. China and Russia now have both been testing hypersonic missiles. <laughs> China claims there's one around the world. Russia says they hit their target with their Zircon missile. What do we need to do as a nation, in your opinion, to make sure that we don't give any competitive advantages over to China and Russia or and to make sure that our, our country stays safe? Well, like my father said, during his lifetime, there were four wars, none of which were started because America was too strong. Um, right. It's always when America's too weak. And right now we're very, very weak. I mean, I was saying it a few weeks ago, you know, if you want to put Grenada into the in the mix, the last war we won was in Grenada. I mean, think about that for a moment. But take Grenada out of the equation. The last war we won was the Second World War. And, yeah. and, 
That's I would argue we, we won in Panama in 89. Um, <laughs> I was a part but, of that. Yeah, but you, you can make the argument absolutely right. But we, but the fact is today, since then, what have we been doing? Yeah. We, you know, we yeah. need to be fighting more like Reagan or FDR or, or Bush and not fighting like in retreat, uh, which is what we've been doing. When you go to war, you go in to crush the other guys. FDR understood that. You crush them. The reason Japan, the reason Germany are where they are today with, with the United States is because they remembered that they were absolutely crushed in the Second World War. No one played patty cake, yeah. patty cake, baker's man with them. We crushed yeah. them. And they remember that. And they know that America at any point in time could do it again. But to allow a war to go on 20 years, please. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and with no, what's the get out of town program? What's, what's that all about? But 20 years, you allow our military to be in a, in a place like that, occupying, what is going on? And, and yeah. people watch that. The world watches. It's, 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 it's again, it's, it's how you finish. And our finish was terrible. And we haven't any, done anything to make it look any stronger, if you will, because of what's happening with the military, with this whole woke operation that they've got going on now and everything else. Military, you're, you go, you're trained to break things. That's what you're trained yeah. to do. And win wars, you're not trained to go, you know, can I take you to dinner? This is not what the war's you know, all about. My dad understood that. I don't know if I ever told you a story about my dad, who was, you know, in the cavalry. And in fact, yes. the, the cavalry flag is the official flag of the USS Ronald Reagan. Flies yeah. on the flies on the on the on the lower deck, and uh, he wanted to be in the in the army so badly, but he knew because he was legally blind without his glasses that he had to, in fact, do something to get in, and and he knew he couldn't pass the eye exam, so he went out and he memorized all the eye charts. <laughs> and and so when he went for his eye exam to get into the army and they asked what's line D, what is it? He go, you know, three, four, seven, five, six, whatever it was. And then he passed, but it's only because he had it memorized not because he could see what he was looking at. And they ultimately, they all ultimately offered him the rank of major uh, when he decided to retire as a captain, he did over 300 videos during the second world war, uh, uh, for the military training videos. And when he was going to retire as captain, they offered him a major. And they said, listen, he said, uh, I, I can't take a major position because to me, that belongs to someone who's able to go overseas and, and fight the enemy. If I went overseas, I don't know who I'd be shooting because I couldn't see him anyway. So <laughs> he saved the major, retired as a captain, you know, from the army. Uh, it worked out pretty well in the long run, but again, uh, that was just that was just Ronald Reagan, and that's how yeah. I kind of grew up listening to the stories, and I learned about America, seeing the right front seat of a station wagon driving out to the ranch on any given Saturday morning, regaling me with Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard songs, and telling me stories about America. So I learned about America, and, and I don't think we do that enough with our own children today. We always look at the schools expect schools to teach our kids well that's worked out terribly you know yeah. sometimes we have to we have to say hey we have to be the ones to instill this into our own children and not be afraid to talk about it 
And one of the things your dad did extremely well is that in, in remembering this growing up in that time period was I was proud to be an American. He definitely made America feel that, you know, Americans feel good to be about American and, you know, buy American was when that thing really started to take off. I mean, every bumper well, sticker on every back of every truck was by American, you know, and that was. I, all I, told, some, I told some young people uh, up at the ranch center a couple of weekends ago, young America's foundation bought the dad's ranch in 1998, kept it pristine exactly the way it was the last day my dad was there. And I told these young kids, I said, the problem with America is we forgot to love her. We need to learn to love America again. And what you're seeing right now is the lack of love for our own country. And when we when we learn to love our country again, things will start to change, but not until we learn to love America again. And we don't love America right now for the most part. We listen to nothing but negative about it. We buy into the negative stories about America. Uh, but we need to get away from that and say, hey, what is it about America that I can love? And, you know, all you have to do is look at the southern border or whatever else. There's people trying to get into America. They're not trying to get into Yugoslavia. They're not trying to get right. into any place else. They're trying to get to America because you know, of the opportunity, you know, here yeah. in America. And uh, we just need to learn about lover again. What do you think your dad, since we just mentioned the southern border, what do you think your dad would have thought about the detention centers that we have for all the immigrants that currently are? Well, going see, on? first of all, first of all, you have to think they would be there. Yeah. If my dad were there. See, I don't believe they would be there. My dad were president of the United States. They just wouldn't be there. Now, on the other side of the coin, I would tell you that my father would more than likely support the, the children who were brought here by their parents as children brought in the United States of America, who have lived here most all their lives. Many of them don't even know Spanish. They only know English. They've gone to school here, gotten jobs here. My father would probably find a way to help them, you know, stay in America without the worry of being kicked out of America. I think that's the kind of heart that my dad had. Um, he would just he would just do that. He wouldn't blame children for what the parents were in fact fact doing. I'll tell you a story. Young man who came to the United States with his with his parents as a child in the nineteen seventies. Um, came in and became American citizen along with his mother and father under the uh, Simpson Mazzoli Bill in nineteen eighty six, and became an American. When he turned 18 years of age, uh, he joined the Navy because he wanted to he wanted to fight for the country that allowed him to become an American citizen. And when the USS Ronald Reagan was, in fact, commissioned and christened back in 2001 and uh, 2002, he he signed up and volunteered to serve on the USS Ronald Reagan because he wanted to serve on the ship named after the man who allowed him to become a citizen of the United States of America. And we have a foundation, the Reagan Legacy Foundation, and we provide scholarships to men and women who serve aboard the USS Ronald Reagan, along with their family members who are left home. And those who are trying to better themselves, we give them checks also. But this young man, for two years, we gave him $1,000 checks. Uh, and the reason we did is because this 
kid that came here illegally with his mom and dad, who became a citizen under Simpson Mazzoli, who joined the Navy, who went to the Reagan and, uh, and decided to serve on the Reagan, was mentoring 75 sailors on the Reagan to make them better sailors and, and better educated for their future. And these are the stories that never get told. Yeah. But what, he, was a, he was a great kid. And there's a lot of those great kids out there. And my father would know that. And my father would find a way to help those kids and, and not hold them accountable, responsible for their parents bringing them to America as children. Children didn't have a choice. They had no choice. Uh, but they came and uh, he would find a way. So, uh, Mike, since we're talking about the southern border, one of the things in this new infrastructure bill that just came out is uh, one of the pages in there is eliminating the need for a Social Security number to earn child tax credits, which uh, some on the right side of the aisle are against because they're saying that illegal immigrants uh, we will be able to apply for these child tax credits, and it could uh, cost uh, upwards of $2 billion um, that illegal aliens uh, will be able to get uh, because of the lack of this. How do you think your father would have handled all of this? Having said what you said about the children and everything, how would he handle things like this um, when, well, he when there's so much polarization? Yeah, well, he wouldn't. Well, yeah, there's polarization because of the leadership. Yeah. That's why there's polarization. You know, you need some a leader that doesn't polarize everybody. You know, Ronald yeah. Reagan got elected governor of California and president of the United States twice each time. Not because he polarized people is because he had a message and a message. You know, Republicans can't elect a cow. There's not enough Republicans to elect anybody to anything. Yeah. At all. You, you, in order to elect a Republican, you need independents, you need moderate or conservative Democrats, you need them to cross the aisle. That's how Ronald Reagan got elected, both in California and as president of the United States. And I, I, I ran into a lot of people back in those days and today who, who disagreed with Ronald Reagan politically, but they liked him and they trusted him. Yes. And th that really overshadows when you really think about elections. Why did Hillary Clinton lose in 2016 to Donald Trump? How Donald Trump had a better message. Nobody liked Hillary. Right. That's what right. it was all about. It was the hate yeah. Hillary syndrome. Why did Trump lose this time? The hate Trump syndrome. Yeah. And, and, and that's when people go out there, well, you could talk about taxes, you could talk about this. And there's a group, there's people that vote on those issues. They're one issue people. But the end yeah. of the day, I think the independents, which kind of make things work, the independents, you know, Go to the polls and vote for the person who's most likable. Who do I like the most? And they mark their trust the most. Yeah, hey, you're right. The who, trust, who do I trust? Uh, and that yeah. was that was that that showed out in the in the Virginia race where Youngkin and Sears mm -hmm. were the most likable, and and the the people of Virginia said these are who I want in these leadership positions. And and I, I've known that for so long. The problem I have. And you alluded to in the beginning, you know, I'm son of Ronald Reagan. I've done this. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, the fact is, I offer my service to anybody. I don't charge anybody. Anybody want to call me on the phone who's running for office to just get some insight? You know, I'm available. 
Uh, but, you know, like I said, Donald Trump called me and back in 2015. And, uh, you know, I said, he said he's going to run. I said, well, if you're going to run, stay away from Manafort and what's his name, the other guy. Manafort, uh, huh? Banner. Not Banner, not Banner, not Banner. Manaf- stay away from Manafort. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. Say, if, you, if you hire Manafort, you will rue the day. Why? Because Manafort worked for my dad. I fired yeah. Manafort from my father's campaign. Yeah. And, and the other sleazeball that, from Florida that works with him a lot. And, and, but he did. Oh, he got uh, Roger Stone. Roger Stone. I fired Stone. Yeah. I fired Stone. I fired Manafort, John Sears, the whole thing. My father called me on the morning of the New Hampshire primary, you know, and said, listen, I got I have news release for you. I need your, your approval. I said, what the heck do you want my approval for? Because you're the only guy who told me what was going on and nobody else would be honest with me. And you were. I said, what about? What about? He said, you were honest about what was going to happen in Iowa. And my staff was telling me something else. And you said what you said. So I want you to approve or disapprove the press release. He said, let me read it to you. And that was press release firing Sears, Stone, Black, the whole operation. And I approved yeah. it. To be honest with you, I said, yeah, do it. He says, you'll be hearing about this in your seven o'clock news out in California. And I said to myself, you're going to win today? He says, yeah. I said, okay. Because I thought to myself, if he loses, they're going to blame me. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the guy that fired those people? But, but again, I, that's what frustrates me is the fact that I make myself available. Uh, and, and, you know, they don't, they don't care because they just see me as one dimensional. Yeah. You, but speaking, the, I've known you for a long time, and you know we follow each other on Twitter. We've been doing this for years. I don't see you as one dimensional. I see you as <laughs> the, the dimension. I see you as you tell the truth. How, how, however, it hurts. You, yeah. you say you say well, what I, the truth is, good I, or bad. You know, tr- tr- Trump, Trump wouldn't call me during the whole campaign, this last campaign. So you saw me on Twitter. I just kept on telling what he needed yeah. to do. Yes, you, you know, did. And people get mad at me because, oh, you don't like Trump. It has nothing to do with like or dislike. After, if you want to get reelected, here's the things you need to do. Yeah. You how, how, many, how many times did I say, if you don't follow this, you're going to lose? Yeah. You, you, you harped on him for a while about things. And, 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 no, rea- and no reaction from his camp, which was I, – I was – I actually was like kind of – I rolled my eyes. I, I can't believe you're saying this point blank to him, and he's – not and you know he's on Twitter all the time reading everything. At the time he was, mm-hmm. and, and he didn't comment, didn't even acknowledge it. And I thought that was just uh, that you're going to lose. However, however, you do notice I'm not on Fox. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, having said that, um, you know the the midterms are coming up next year, mm-hmm. and then the general election in 2024. Who are going to be the key players? for the Republican party. And just, do you think former president Trump's going to run again? Well, I, I tweeted about this. And I think I wrote a column about it also. Uh, Newsmax, by the way, keeps all my columns. They grab them and put them all on Newsmax in the opinion section every week. Um, I said, if you want to have Trump be there available for you for primary season, I'm not going to argue with you but I would keep Trump away in the general election. Uh, 
because if if you allow the Democrats to use Trump in the general election against you, you may very well lose because you'll never get your issue out. You'll always be defending yourself on the Trump side. Look what happened in Virginia. They kept Trump away and they ended up winning and they're able to define what the issues were. If you have Trump involved, Trump's going to want you to talk about Trump and they're going to ask you about November 3rd. They're going to ask you about January 6th. You're going to be caught up in Trump's issues instead of the issues you want to put on the plate. So I think if the Republicans stay away from Trump in the general election, I think they're going to do very well. But if they bring him in, I think they won't do very well at all. And I have said this, and I'm not going to, you know, I'll say it. I think if Trump wins in 20 or runs in 2024, he could lose by a bigger margin than he lost the last time. Because the people who voted against him the last time are still going to vote against him. They're still going to vote against him because it's such a hatred. Uh, You need to find someone that's going to embrace people, have a message and bring Democrats, independents and others in who will vote for you to move the country forward. I think if Trump is the guy, I think we could be in a lot of trouble in 2024 in the presidential race. Um, And and that that bothers me. But we need to keep him away in the general elections of 2022 to allow our candidates to carry the ball, let their issues carry the day and let them win like we did in Virginia. Any ideas on who you think good candidates would be? Uh, DeSantis out of Florida? Uh, well, I, think, I think there's Ohio. Yeah, I think I, I think there's some good ones. You got DeSantis, you got the you know, governor up there in Dakotas, you got, you know, former yeah. governor, you know, down there in the Carolinas. So you've got you got you know, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, we tend to do better when we elect governors than we elect senators or congressmen yeah. uh, because they have a, they have a long history of votes that can be used to get there, uh, used against them in a primary or general election. That's why we elect governors. I think governors are better to elect because they've actually governed, yeah. which is important. Um, and you're seeing that now with this president. He's never governed. He's never run a business, but he's never governed. And, and, and so he's all over the map every day, listening to everybody and, and so on. So I think it's important to look at the governors and what governors that we have out there who are more than capable of, of running for president of the United States of America. Um, and I think we could do well with a governor instead of a member of the Senate, member of the House. So with, this, with the things going on in your Eastern Europe with the okay. Ukraine, and with your dad, the way he had had Russia pretty or well, sorry, at the time with Soviet Union, pretty much where he wanted them based off because of the, the economy and other things. Russia's quite the powerhouse at this point, economically, militarily. And and then, of course, I, I see some of their points of view, of what they're saying. But at the same time, I, you know, as an American, I don't see their points of view, <laughs> but they're this whole issue about the Ukraine and how they're pushing it pretty hard mm-hmm. and the way they're going at it. And with also with Europe, we're, we're uncertain as the United States, Europe buys their natural gas to heat their homes in winter from the Russians. Mm-hmm. So you think this could play into to Putin's hands and, and the ability to be able to manipulate Europe's opinion and its wavering support behind 
with the rest of NATO, do you think that's going to impact NATO's decision to how it's going to to uh, react to Russia if Putin does invade Ukraine? I mean, it's NATO's going to react. NATO's going to react the way the United States wants NATO to react. Okay. Um, and and the problem is, as as Russia looks at at us, as China looks at us, nobody's paying a price. China hasn't paid a price for the virus. They didn't pay a price for what they've done in Hong Kong. They're paying no prices for the flyovers they're doing with Taiwan. Yeah. They didn't pay a price for the for the what they have in the South China Sea. They haven't yeah. paid a price. I mean, and you go back historically, go back to the Second World War. You know, when Germany went into Poland, did they, Germany pay a price? No. And it's, at some point, you know, you, you got to do something about this. And we've done nothing. We've done nothing to China. And Russia is looking at this, not paying a price. What we shut off our own oil. And so Russia picked up the balls. Hey, we got it. Don't worry about it. And we're begging the OPECers again. That's what we used to call them. Back in the 70s and 80s, we called them OPECers. Uh, and now they're being begged to, to give us oil to bring the prices down. But people forget historically, back in the days of Clinton, they wanted gas to go to $5 a gallon. Why? To have electric cars, electric vehicles. So they finally had the $5 a gallon out here in California and other places. But I, I, I worry for the Ukraine um, because they're looking to America for leadership and they're not getting any leadership. And it's only that leadership will keep Russia out of the Ukraine. That's only, and they don't see it. The whole Eastern Bloc looks to America, who freedom. People need to remember, these people haven't been free that long. It was, I was at the 20th anniversary of the fall of the wall. And a couple of days later, went to Poland because I was invited there by the president of Poland. Those, that's the group that died a couple of months later in that tragic plane crash yeah. to be there for, the, for their anniversary, 20-year anniversary of the fall of, of, of communism and freedom to them. Um, and I had breakfast that morning with the, with the president of the country. And, and uh, through an interpreter, he asked me, why did your president, that was Obama, why did your president take away our missile defense system? I said to him, I said, don't ask me. The person you should ask is, is, is Putin. That's who you should ask, because that's who's pulling the strings of Obama. And uh, then he said to me, he says, well, who do you think's running your foreign policy? And I offhand said, we think George Soros. And he looked at me, he says, that's what we think. And, it, and it's true. What's George Soros doing? He's got, the attorney, he's got the attorney generals in all these states, you know, that he's backing. I mean, he is a cancer on the world, and nobody wants to hold him accountable. So if we're not going to hold people who are cancers on the world accountable, then we're going to get what we deserve. Unfortunately, it's going to be my grandchildren who will be fighting the third world war against China uh, because we're doing nothing, nothing at all. And so you look at NATO, NATO looks to America for leadership. There is no leadership. Kamala Harris? There is no leadership in, in America. And until America is strong, we lose in all areas. All areas we lose. Yeah. So um, speaking of that, you know, we've seen Chinese predatory economics in Africa, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and then, you know, they've taken over the airport in Uganda. They've built a naval base in Djibouti. 
of Russian adventurism is in Syria. It's mm -hmm. in Egypt and in, in, in now in Libya and places like that. So now with us exiting Afghanistan and with the reduction of forces in the Middle East, what do you think the future is going to hold in the Middle East concerning Israel and uh, Saudi Arabia? And then how do we deal with not only Iran and its proxies, but these terrorist organizations that potentially, and in my opinion, will continue to grow and look to export their spectacular kinds of attacks to Europe and even further west? I was speaking many years ago to a very high-ranking lieutenant colonel who wrote a book called About Face. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever read it about Vietnam. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. I, that, I know that, that uh, high-ranking lieutenant colonel very well. Best book ever written on Vietnam. Best book ever written on Vietnam. And I asked him one day, I said, when do you think there'll be peace in the Middle East? He said, when they're all dead. Wow. Genghis Khan made that. I remember I said Genghis Khan made a comment way back when don't fight a war in the Middle East, avoid it at all costs. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you see, it, 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 that's all they know. I mean, that's that's their world. But that's 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 what he that's what he said to me. And I went, hmm. he said, what? he said, I said, well, what what would you do? He said, well, Mike, he said, if I was in charge, I'd build a hundred foot wall around the Middle East. And I'd have one 101 foot tall ladder. And I'd go up to the top and I'd throw all kinds of armaments in, into the Middle East. And every six months I'd go to the top of the ladder and I'd look in and they're still shooting at each other. I'd just take the ladder down. I'd put it back up and do it again. At some point I'd go to the top of that ladder to be one, one son of a bitch still standing. I'd shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And, and you know who I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I know him very well. Uh, I was I spent three years in the Pentagon during the Trump administration, and that guy was uh, a key player there. Yeah. So. Yeah. What did I tell you? Yeah. The, the Middle East so, is always traumatic. But I said the Middle East. The Middle East. Again, you need America. Again, America has no say that what we did when we got out of Afghanistan. What what do, what chips do we have to play? Yeah. What chips do we have to play now? None. So we you have to yeah. rebuild your your chips. We don't have any, and we still have people there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. and to be honest, with you, if Trump were the president of the United States, you'd be hearing about it every day. Absolutely. It's like I remember I remember when my dad was president, we used to get the count of the homeless every day. Every day you got the count of the homeless. When do you ever hear anything about the homeless in the news? You don't. You don't. Yeah. And and you look at these blue cities and the homelessness in, in these blue cities, it, it, but you don't hear it. But every day of my dad's presidency, we hear the count on the homeless. Or when Nixon was president, the count of the dead in Vietnam. I mean, but when the, when the when the Democrats in there, you hear nothing. It's like crickets, nothing. Yeah, it, it is. It is funny how that historically has been that way. Um, I mean, you didn't you go back and you start following every presidency. And that is a very true statement. 
And during the Clinton administration, the, the most known thing about the Clinton administration is the reason the Contra did so well is they didn't really effectively do much. Uh, and it ran itself. The corp, you know, corporate thing ran. And, and of course, the country's economy boom. But that was also not all in tune to what they did. It was uh, all the policies prior to finally coming to fruition. So and then and then from that point on, we've not had it as much success in the economy, um, you know, as, as then as we were looking forward and looking the way it is. But then again, the stock market, I mean, the numbers in the stock market are much higher than it ever was before. So I guess it's yeah. looking at that as a certain point of view and how the economy is. But you're right. COVID is take COVID out of the equation. Prior to we were doing all right unemployment wise in numbers. Uh, but you're right. We never. The one thing we don't hear about is the homeless anymore. We don't hear it's, about it. It's like there's nothing wrong in L.A. It's a beautiful town. No problems I'm, in San Francisco. It's just lovely. Lovely there. We just watch where you step. Yeah. Uh, the whole East, the whole West Coast, from Seattle on down. You just go. It's sad. I mean, this is the Gold Coast, and now it's just terrible. Just terrible. What you go there. You know, my my son lives not far from me. I don't know how much you know about California, but he lives lives in the valley, a nice little place called Sherman Oaks, and he can't take his three year old and five year old. Uh, daughters out to walk around the block because of needles. And we're talking yeah. a really nice area. Uh, can't do that. My daughter lives five minutes away from me and, you know, not too far at all. And, you know, Cameron's 10 minutes away from me. The daughter's five minutes away from where we live. And, you know, there's, there's always, you know, look, guns. Look what happened to Beverly Hills lad the other night yeah. with the, with the, with the, the philanthropist being shot and killed in her own home with a guard. Yeah. Beverly Hills. I mean, you don't read. Yeah. When you start reading about smashing grabs and people being shot and killed in Beverly Hills, you've got some real problems because you, you have police officers to try to get out of the duty of being a police officer in Beverly Hills because it's so boring. Nothing <laughs> ever happens. Nobody speeds. Nobody robs a bank. Nobody breaks in, in, into a store. Nobody does it. But seriously, you have police officers who, who want to leave Beverly Hills because they're, they sign on as a policeman and they're bored to death because all they do is drive in circles and do nothing. But now you have smash and grabs. You have you know, sidewalk robberies. You have the, 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 these people getting shot and killed in Truesdale States. I mean, my God, it, it's horrific what's going on out here. And, it's, and maybe Fox does so well because Fox talks about it. People are concerned about this. You know, smacks and yeah. grabs. I mean, you got 80 people walking into a store. It's organized. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's insane watching the videos of this. It's like these people just drive up in their cars, get out of their cars with no worries about their license plates being visible. All walk in, do what they do and walk out and then all drive away. And it's like, well, they all know that you can't all get caught because the cops cannot stop 80 people. It, it's just well, not the other possible. side of the coin is what they don't tell the, the, uh, the guards at the stores who they, you know, a guard in a store without a weapon is a bystander. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they are. They're a bystander. Yeah. You know, I, I said, you know, if I was in charge, I'd give everybody a model 870 shotgun. Uh, <laughs> that's what I do. But like I was talking to a police officer the other day and I said, it's just all these misdemeanors. He's no, what people don't understand and what these guards don't understand. The second a police officer or a guard goes up and puts a hand on your wrist and, and you do not succumb to that, it becomes a felony, not a misdemeanor. 
So yeah, it does change the ball game quick, quickly. It does. And I said, somebody needs to tell the guards that. Somebody <clears> needs to tell people in these stories that. You know, go up and you put your hand on them, say stop, they don't stop, it's a felony. It's a low felony, but it is a felony. But again, when you have California, you know, you could take up to $950 out of a store without worrying about it. I mean, you know, there's a problem with a bunch of guys run into a store and one guy's got a calculator. Yeah. 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 Along along those same lines, Mike, um, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. We hear all the time about the 6th of January. I mean, we still have the hearings going on and everything, but you hear nothing anymore about the illegal annexation of six blocks in Seattle last summer including the East Precinct Station, you know, the Chop Chaz Zone, or the 100 Nights of Violence in Portland with the six firebomb attacks of the federal courthouse and everything. Um, this, you know, we are, we are so slanted on what we're focused on in this country, you know, and what we're not focused on. And it, to me, I think these smashing grabs are similar to the, you know, what happened in Seattle and Portland and others, because the the um, motivation of law enforcement either to get after it because they don't have the backing of their political leaders uh, is not what it should be. And then there's the other thing, like you just talked about with guards and stuff, that they fully don't understand what their authority is and what they're doing. Uh, your thoughts on that, Over? Well, today, news out here, uh, they defunded 300 uh, sh- sheriffs. We need 300 yeah. sheriffs. You know, where we used to have 12 classes for sheriffs, there's only four. That's it. Wow. So there's wow. four classes, not 12 classes. Because this whole defunding thing out here in Los Angeles and, and, and so on. But a lot of that is self-inflicted. You know, people understand that. And I said this probably on Twitter, Rand Reagan world. It's self-inflicted. January 6th was self-inflicted. If you don't yeah. know how the media is going to react to something you're doing, then you're really just stupid. Yeah, just you really are. you got to know they're looking for you to screw up so you can become the issue. I mean, Trump did that all the time. Yeah. I mean, Trump stepped on himself for four years. Trump stepped on himself. I mean, he might as well have given them the gun, loaded it and pulled the trigger himself because he did it to himself. And, And 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 Republicans have a tendency to do this. We get riled up and stuff like that. But then you do something that allows the left to attack you. I, I, I said, I, I say this in my speeches a lot because people talk a lot. Well, the day your dad took office, the hostages went free. I said, yeah, but that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah. yeah. I said, if you go back and listen to the campaign of 1980, listen to what they said about Ronald Reagan. He's going to start World War III. He's going to turn Iraq into a, a, a glass factory. He's going to just go down the line because everything they say in today, they said about Ronald Reagan in the 1980s. The difference is, how did Reagan respond? And you cannot find a quote from Ronald Reagan, a speech, anything. Ronald Reagan never denied what the left was saying about it. Because he understood that the audience is much bigger than that person you're talking to. And he understood that the audience that was being, who was hearing that message was in Iraq, was in Iran, 
was in those eastern, you know, far east, in those countries, listening to the left, sell them on the fact that if this man's elected, he may go to World War III and make you disappear. He never denied it. So what happens on the day he's sworn in as president, as the football changes from one side to the other side of the aisle, the hostages go free. Yeah, because my dad understood that. And what Republicans have never learned about they talk about my dad a lot. But I always say you've seen me. I'll do it at the end for something I say on my Twitter account. I'll say at the end, geez, I never saw this guy at at the family dinner. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I never saw him having dad with dinner with my father. Never saw it happen. You know? uh, but yet they think they know my father better than I did sitting, you know, sitting with my dad and, and hearing him talk or telling me stories. And and that's it. It's how how you react to it. And unfortunately, we react like what happened on January 6th. Everybody reacted to what they had been told since November 3rd, that they were cheated, that yeah. we could change it. But that so ultimately that's how they react. They don't understand. Yeah. Just stay, you know. Just you know, <laughs> if you're going to be like Ronald Reagan and talk about and use my father, then learn from him. Don't step all over him and 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 say he really didn't know anything. This is the way you do it because now you're going to be living with January six for a long time. Absolutely. And we did it to our, we did it to ourselves. I, I say to people. I think Trump did some great things. I, I would have taped his mouth shut. Um, but I also told somebody this. I said this to my son. I said, you do understand, had Donald Trump won the election, he still would have sued because he would have thought he should have won by more. It may be true. <laughs> As Donald Trump. I mean, was the, I, I should have won by more. I, and go out there and sue somebody. Uh because the way it is, but I, one thing I can't get over, I'll never get over, is the way they threw the vice president of the United States under the bus, yeah. and and yeah. how that yeah. man will never get a that man. I'll, I doubt he'll ever get elected to anything, because there's 75 million people out there who believe he could have changed the dynamic of the election and put Trump back in the Oval Office, which he couldn't do, and and they threw him under the bus. And I think if they would have gotten in there to him that day. They might have killed. Yeah, sadly. And we all know for a fact, 100 percent, he had no there was no legal justification in his whole thing. He had no way of challenging that at all. Even if even if it was true, there was no legal bounds at all to challenge that. If anyone wanted to research the Constitution or anybody in the political world knows that and knew that Pence had an extremely hard job that day. And if I'm not mistaken, it was he called that night, the night before he called Dan Quayle and Dan Quayle gave him the best advice. I think where we where we currently at is where he told him, don't do a thing. Don't challenge anything. Don't do anything because you have no legal bounds whatsoever. No legal or I, I tell you a quick story about my dad, though, because we were talking about Grenada and that earlier. Uh, it's when my dad became president of the United States, the senator came to my father. Oh, I believe it was Senator. Joe Biden. Uh, I think he was part of that gang of eight group. Yeah. Yep. And Joe Biden told my father, he said, Mr. President, if you ever put together a COVID operation uh, that I disagree with, even though everybody else agrees with you, I will leak it to the media to stop it. 
And and so so when you think back to Grenada and all of a sudden we're in Grenada and nobody knew we were going to be in Grenada, you have to go back to that conversation. The reason no one knew. <laughs> yeah, and, and what have you. Uh, or we flew our planes in the Tripoli in the middle of the night. You have to Absolutely. go back to that conversation. But the, the fun story about Grenada was when my dad called everybody in the Oval Office and talking about Grenada, should we go in, should we not go in, and what have you. Uh, he took a vote. And I think there were 10 people in the meeting that day. And, and the vote was seven to three not to go into Grenada. My dad was, you know, part of the three to go in. Uh, but they voted seven to three not to go in. They all left. Shook hands with the president. Thank you, Mr. President. Great meeting we had. Two days later, we're in Grenada. And one of the <laughs> called my dad and said, Mr. President, I was in that meeting. You took a vote. And the vote was seven to three not to go into Grenada. How come we went into Grenada? He said, well, because my one vote canceled your seven. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, I love it. That was great. And it's so true. I mean, he, he, he did he did the Democratic thing and, and you know, the, the Democrat, the whole thing, you know, what, what we have in democracy, did democracy in his best, asked for the best advice and then analyze the advice and did what he wanted to do. <laughs> and and you're always going to have people. You're always going to have people in your own party you disagree with. You always are. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you throw them out of the party. Republican Party isn't big enough to start launching people overboard all the time that you disagree with. Yeah. Because you'll find a lot more areas you agree with than you disagree with. Yeah. And so to launch people overboard, you're going like, wait a minute, we may need that vote at, at some point. My dad really you know, understood all of those equations when it came down to it. He had people in his own party that didn't support him. But he didn't launch him overboard. Uh, he found ways to, to get along or with Tip O'Neill. I mean, the largest tax break in American history came to us because Tip O'Neill took him to the floor of the House. But how did that happen? Because my dad invited Tip O'Neill and his wife to the White House for dinner. And the next day, Tip would go back to his office, say, you know, I'm going to carry that legislation on the tax break for the president. And they looked at him and said, are you nuts? You disagree with this president on everything he stands for. You know, if you put it on the floor, there's enough bow weevils, that's what we used to call them, on the floor that'll, that'll, they're, now they're blue dogs, they're bow weevils in. Enough bow weevils on the floor, it'll vote for it and it'll pass. What did the president say? What did he promise you? He didn't promise me anything. He didn't promise you anything? Well, what did he say? He's really never talked about taxes all night long. Wait, he never talked about taxes all night long? Then what the hell did you guys talk about? Well, he said he talked about America, talked how great America was, how great her people were, and how the two of us together can make it better for every American. And before I knew it, I'm having wine with the president. We're telling Irish stories. Oh, he also said that anybody who voted for the bill, he wouldn't campaign against in the next election. But I'm telling you today, I'm going to take the I'm going to take it to the floor of the of the House. But, you know, th that was dad. He just disarmed you with. The guy was just <laughs> disarmed you. That's it. Like you he, what he said, what he said to Mikhail Gorbachev. He says, you don't have to you don't have to come into terms with us. But if you don't, I'll just bankrupt you. <laughs> so true. Do you think his acting career 
helped him in his ability to sway people? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You learn you you because he the camera never lies. Yeah, the camera never lies. Just look at your politicians. Look at them when they're on camera. The camera never lies. And Dad understood that. Yeah, because there was nothing. They there was nothing ever on camera. Anything he ever did, he was always picture perfect. In presidencies, mm-hmm. when you look at it uh, and going back and start looking at the most modern presidency, he had a picture perfect presidency. He said the right things at the right time all the time. He did. Yeah. He did. And he, and he spoke. Remember, he never used the word I. It's always we. Uh, he, he embraced the American people. He embraced the American dream. My God, he lived the American dream. You know, coming from a, a kid from Dixon, Illinois, who had to drag his father off the doorstep of the house. Uh, on Christmas morning because he had passed out from drinking, uh, having to get a scholarship to go, a poor person scholarship to go to Eureka College. Mm-hmm. You know, he lived the American dream and he understood the American dream. And so he spoke for so many people when he got up uh, to speak. And if you listen, you know, people listening to his podcasts and what have you, go back and listen to his speeches because you'll find that my father spoke to us in parables. Think about that. He spoke to us in parables. He spoke to us with stories. And yeah. we embraced the story. That's how he spoke to me or spoke to Maureen. Half his kids understood the story. The other two are still working on it. <laughs> but, but again, you know, he told us stories. He was the first one to bring heroes to a State of the Union address. First one to salute getting on and off Air Force One or Marine One. First one to speak on D-Day. At mm-hmm. Normandy, France, so many firsts uh, because he just felt it. He would, Maureen and I used to joke with it, joke with us, say, you know, your dad's running for president. They would say, he said, no, he's actually running for his Eagle badge. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's the kind of inspirational kind of leadership that I think we need in our country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that, you know, talks the talk but first walks the walk and wherever there's points of friction that needs our leadership attention that the 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 president or the commander-in-chief goes to those points of friction and gets eyes on or gets feet on the ground to see what's going on and uh that's what i admired so much about your father when he was my commander-in-chief and uh and our president back in the 80s it was just yeah his leadership phenomenal you, you you go back, listen to, listen to Abe Lincoln or listen to George Washington. Listen to these people. They're inspirational. Yeah. You, yeah. you can't. Uh, Trump may go out there and speak for four hours at a time. <laughs> but are they, they're memorable in length and what he says. Uh, but are they inspirational? Are they are something you're going to remember? Are you going to remember like Dad's speech he gave in November of you know, 1964, a time for choosing that you could actually play that one today and just change the numbers and it's good to go. Yeah. Or, or the challenger disaster or, mm-hmm. or, or and you just go through, you just go through the list of great speeches because they're inspirational. As I, I've told a couple of politicians when I've heard them speak and I'll go up afterwards and say, what do you, what do you think? I say, it's great. But if you want to go further in your career, I'm only going to give you, one bit of advice. I don't want to hear your speech. 
I want to feel it. And if I can't feel it, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And they just look at me and they don't get it. And you listen to Ronald Reagan's speeches. You feel those speeches. You feel it as he's saying it. It, you listen. You can listen to speeches day. You will cry at the same point you cried the first time you heard it. You will laugh at, at the same spot you laughed at the first time you heard it, because you felt it. Yeah. And there's no politician out there today that I've heard at this point where, you know, where you feel it. You actually feel it in your gut. Go wow. Yeah, I agree. You know, I've. I, I remember what he what your dad said right after the Beirut bombing with 241 uh, Marines and sailors that were killed after the discotheque attack in Berlin that killed an active duty service member and our retaliation uh, on Gaddafi and everything. Those moments when we were looking for America had 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 their nose bloody to a certain extent, and we needed someone to send a message that was of assurance of inspiration and confidence. And I love the way you said that you felt it when he talked about those incidents, you didn't just hear it. You felt it. And that's, I, I absolutely agree with you. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do. And we don't, we don't have that today. And when we find it, America will be a better place again, but we've got to be, we've got to be looking for it. And as I said, We've got to learn to love America, love America again and find someone who wants to represent us that loves America, maybe a little bit more than we do, who can yeah. take us to the next mountain. Yeah. All right. I agree. Absolutely. That being said, I know if uh, we rolled this one a little longer than we were supposed to, but, <laughs> but it was, it's, it's always great, great uh, catching up with you. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, definitely, you know, you, you got you got a lot going on. And, uh, you know, again, I've always I, I enjoy uh, reading everything you do say on Twitter each day. So I, I do pay attention. <laughs> so, um, well, thank you. You know, I just I just tell it the way I feel it. I mean. Yeah. That's all I could do. I'm not, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I've got no axe to grind except making America better. Yeah. yeah so so well, definitely thank you very much. I appreciate both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being thank on the show. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been an honor. Yeah, it's been an honor. Well, thank you. Thank you for thank you for your service and what have you. And, you know, too bad you didn't start in the cavalry. But, you know. I did start in the cavalry. Huh? <laughs> not the horse cavalry. I did. I was a cavalryman for 38 years. Yeah, well, Oh, there you go. Well, a horse cavalryman. Yeah, I was an armored cavalryman and then a light and an airborne cavalryman. And my dad used to ride horses, uh, his own horse in the in the uh, westerns he, he did, or uh, a couple of movies with Errol Flynn and what have you. Uh, and people said, why why did you bring your own horse? He said, they pay me an extra $25 a day. That's <laughs> 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 great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you again, guys. Have a merry Christmas. You too. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Bye bye.